The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we are thankful for, among the truths that we sang about this morning, the the general idea that we belong to you. Laced through all the lyrics in, in each of the songs is, is this great reality that we don't sing about a concept distant from us. We're a God who is foreign, but we, we sing about what is true of us. We sing about you, the God that we know. Thank you. And our hope, Lord, then, is that we would, in this moment and in every day, that we would experience this reality that is us and this God that is you, ours, that we would experience you and walk in the life that you've given us. And and towards that end, Lord, would you help us to understand the psalm before us this morning, to understand it in its depth and what it points to way down the line in the future, but also right now. Help us to understand it, and then help us to to step into it, to lean into it, and to experience it. You bring us life, and you bring us yourself, if that would be the case, so please do that. Honor the Son here in our midst, and build up your people with this sweet, sweet reality. Communion with each other and with you, now and forever. So give clarity to your word this morning, give clarity to my words, and help us to, to set aside distractions. Spirit of God, would you have your way in this room and teach and guide and build up to the honor of Jesus and for the good of his people. That's why I pray it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Do you know what it's like to try to fall asleep the night before an important trip? finally lie down and turn off the light after you finish all the last minute preparations. But of course, your mind is still racing, thinking about what you might have possibly, possibly forgotten. Do you have the clothes that you're going to need? Will the pets be taken care of? Is the car all full of gas and in working order, ready to go? And you're worried about oversleeping, so you're anxious about all that kind of stuff. But also, on the other hand, you're, you're also excited because you're anxious or you're excited about what you're going to see and experience and do and the people you'll meet or maybe see again. So there's anticipation there. There's, there's excitement and there's some anxiety, but this, this trip is a, a big deal because after all, it's not every day that you get to go to church and worship among the people of God. It's been a whole week already. You can't wait for tomorrow. That was you last night, right? Right? Yeah. Tomorrow, I get to go to church and spend three or four hours among the people of God, worshiping, sampling just a little bit of what that life to come, the life in the new Jerusalem will be like, what what that's going to be. I get to experience some of that, and tomorrow even more so because Sunday night, tonight, we're, we're going to have a, a larger gathering with, with several different congregations and people from at least three different tribes, Spanish-speaking and English-speaking and Twampa-speaking, all gathered together to unified at peace with each other to worship our God, to give thanks to him and to enjoy him. That was on your mind last night, right? I get to go live out Psalm 122 tomorrow. Third of the Psalms of Ascent. We've been looking at the Psalms in general because the Psalms are particularly helpful for something that's pretty important to us. The Psalms are particularly helpful for taking truth that we understand, know, agree, believe, hear, and they're helpful for moving it to here, to lived out experience, to, to felt 
not just known, but felt truth. And the Psalms of Ascent, numbers 120 to 134, are particularly helpful for that because their emphasis is on ascending to God, rising up into the presence of God, to experience this beautiful, life-giving reality that we understand and know about. And this morning, as we look at Psalm 122, what we're going to find here is that it gives us a, a place for that, a place where we can, in a different way, not just know and learn more, but can actually experience and feel what we know and learn. A place among the people of God. A place to find joy. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And Let me me read Psalm 122 and then draw from it two observations, the first one of which is, is quite a bit longer than the second one, but two observations. But here's first the words of Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Psalm 122. So here's the first observation. In the gathered, worshiping church, God has given you a place to find joy. In the gathered, worshiping church, God has given you a place to find joy. That's actually throughout the the whole psalm, but it's particularly emphasized in verses 1 to 5, so that's what we're going to look as we develop this point. Of all the psalms of ascent, this one is most explicitly giving us what some people think is the setting for for all 15 of these psalms, the, the pilgrimage that people regularly made up to Jerusalem. Three times a year, God had commanded all the Israelite males to come to the city to celebrate the great feast, the feast of Passover, the feast of booths, the feast of first fruits. These were times of, of gathering together of many, 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 many tens, hundreds of thousands of people. And they came together to, to remember and to celebrate, to worship, to give thanks, it says, to God for what he had done for them in these events and for these periods. The event of the Passover, bringing them out of Egypt and the booths, they are remembering how God sustained them all through the wilderness wanderings and first fruits, how he regularly kept providing for them year after year after year in harvests. So they're looking back and celebrating what he did, commemorating what he's doing then and now, and also then looking forward to how Messiah would come and and fulfill all of that, bring fullness to all those past and present works. So these feasts, these journeys to Jerusalem were great, awesome times. So, verse 1, when my neighbors all said to me, it's time again, we're heading out, I was glad, thrilled. This is an expression of of joy because he's, he's rejoicing now because he's anticipating more joy when he gets there to the house of the Lord, to the temple, that is, which is the whole point. They're going to Jerusalem, but that's only because that's where the house of God is. This point comes up again at the very end in verse 9. Why is he going to seek the good of the city of Jerusalem? Because for the sake of the house of the Lord our God. So, Jerusalem itself is only of relevance because God decided to put his earthly throne there, his ark, in his temple. That's why the people go there, to come into God's presence at the temple, and that's why the Davidic throne, mentioned in verse 5, the thrones of David are there in Jerusalem, right beside the temple, to be God's ruling agent over his people, like, you know, with God, not separate from him in some other place, but right next to him. 
So we kind of need to get something on the table here early. Be, be clear about this. The city of Jerusalem itself, and back away and say, I'm going to say this clearly, but I, I recognize that for some of us, this may be a little bit, hmm, haven't thought about it like that before. So in the vein of this psalm, if we disagree on this piece, But this needs to be understood clearly. The city of Jerusalem itself only gains any significance because during the time of the Old Testament, God's temple is there. His house. And the temple building itself only gains any significance because during the time of the Old Testament, God uniquely, powerfully, supernaturally manifests his presence in that building, in the Holy of Holies, inside the temple, in the city of Jerusalem, in the Old Testament. So the verse 1 gladness that's here is about the anticipated joy of being in God's presence with God's people gathered for worship. He's not focused on the building or the city, per se. It's because God's there, uniquely, powerfully, in the Old Testament. Looking back on that. And it's, it's, it's difficult because we look back on that, and, and they are one and the same. The temple and the city and the presence of God are one and the same in the Old Testament, but here in the New Testament now, they are not. And so we need to be clear about this so that we... First, don't misapply this psalm to be about the present Middle Eastern city. And so that we do properly apply it to realize that's actually about us now. And about something more glorious that's coming in the future. So, got to understand that. And if you want to talk further about that peacefully, I'd be more than happy to. But it's important to get that out there so we understand I'm, I'm reading about something that is for us here. So he's glad to go up to the house of God. In verse 2, he's arrived with everyone else. And what does he find there? Within your gates, O Jerusalem. Finally, here we are. In the city of God. And we're here in this place, built all tightly together, built tight, bound up in unity. Even physically, he feels the closeness of this place. And, and packed in there, he looks around and he says, and look at all these people. Some from up north and some from the hill country and some from the coastland and some from the other side of the river and some from the central plains and some from the southern desert. People from all the four corners, all the different tribes gathered here together. As God decreed, gathered here together, all these people united in his presence. Why? To worship his name. To give thanks to him for all that he's done. And verse 5, to see and experience his reign. Here's where the thrones for judgment are set, the throne of David. Now, we may read that and maybe that feels a little bit, mm, because judgment is often a word that we use in judgmental contexts or maybe in a final judgment sort of sense and something that's kind of ominous. But really, the heart behind that word is, is just simply to exercise authority, make decisions, and rule. So before the throne, what we're going to find here is the exercise of the authority and the rule of King David, God's anointed. Here in the presence of God, what we're going to experience is the good and right and beautiful and sweet authority and rule of the Lord's anointed. Here in his presence, life-giving 
reign for each of us and for all of us. So this all together, these, these verses all together, is the, the life of joy-filled rest that the psalmist wants. Looking forward to it, excited to have, for a, a week at least. You'd make the journey, and they'd be there for a week. This feast lasted all, all that time. Here in unified communion with all of God's people, experiencing life like his kingdom is meant to be, before the righteousness and justice of the throne of God, in worship and thanksgiving, regularly recurring and feasting in celebration of his past grace and mercy, his present grace and mercy, and looking forward to his future grace and mercy. Let's raise a cup to that and let's eat. That's joy. No wonder he's glad to go. To go into the presence of God and to live in that astonishing bubble for a week. It's life. That's what he wants. And that's the very sort of joy-filled life that we need today, too. A place to find that would be a great provision because in our day in and day out, that's not where we live. We live out there. We live here in this world. Last week we recalled how, and that's a world full of trouble. And I could talk about that in two ways. It's a world full of trouble in the sense of catastrophe and accident and pain. But actually, let's think about it in a little different way. It's a world full of trouble in this sense, that if you're, I'm from the Midwest. If you're from the Midwest, from the East, or you spent some time in the Southeast, you know what humidity is. I actually love humidity, but, but a lot of people don't. <laughs> In, in, that, in that kind of an environment, you get up, you walk outside, and what you maybe don't realize is that all day long, you're breathing in heavy air and you're a little moist. And you don't realize that until you go into a place that's air-conditioned and it's cold and dry, and then you got like your own swamp cooler built in, if you think about that. The cold air on your moist makes you like cold, and the air is, is crisp and clear. You don't realize it until you step into the bank or you step into the, the office building. You just walk around all the time, kind of breathing in heavy air and a little bit moist. The world is full of trouble like Illinois is full of humidity. You just walk around in it a little bit moist. So what I mean is you walk around in the world and it just wears on you. It's always just a little bit chaotic and always just a little bit broken and it's upside down in its values and in the way things work. Just think about the circles that you run in. Think about your school, your work environment, your home. Just think about those circles and you, it is probable that you're the only Christian in that circle. And even if you're not, it's highly probable that circle does not work like righteousness and justice, grace, mercy, peace, love, and truth like the kingdom works. It doesn't work like that. And that's the, that's the environment that you you sit in, you walk around in, you breathe that in, and you're just a little bit moist all day long. And it's just wearisome. And it's quite easy to feel alone and isolated. Even though you know better, you know you're not the only Christian in the world, but it can feel like it. 
I'm the only one who thinks like me, and I'm the only one who cares about what I care about. I'm the only one who's bothered by that. And it's discouraging. And life begins to feel burdensome. And all of your desires and efforts and hopes never come to fruition, so life seems fruitless. And it just is like constantly dealing with just a little bit of shortage because the abundance and the blessing that I would love to have and long for, it just isn't here. And I'm kind of dealing with, you know, minus a little bit. Always. This relationship is not quite what it could be. The resources that I need are not quite there. The delight that the situation could hold is just not. It was and then it passed. angst. The French word ennui. Or maybe your life is very performance driven and very fast and very hard and work, work. You don't have time to be disappointed and frustrated because you've got to perform again right now. That's a different kind of burden to carry. Judged constantly by how you did five minutes ago. Last quarter was awesome. Who cares? What about this week? What about this morning? That's a different, wearisome burden. Unforgiving and loveless and harsh and very performance-oriented. Or maybe your world is, it's not particularly challenging and doesn't really frustrate you, but it is sure tempting. Because everybody works one way and it's easy to just kind of go along to get along. And it seems inviting and it seems positive and seems like it works for them and wouldn't that be fun? And then sometimes there's catastrophe. But there's always this trouble and you walk around breathing in heavy air and just kind of moist and you never realize that. Or maybe you do. The world is full of trouble, and it is tricky, and every moment of it is steered. Every moment of the environment that you're walking around in is steered by someone who hates you. There is a ruler of this world. It's not all random. Humidity is random. It actually isn't all random. You have an enemy who's coming for you. And being on guard all the time is itself a different kind of weary. It's tricky and tempting and lonely and frightening. Wouldn't it be nice to have a refuge from that? An island amidst that tossing sea to to come in and find rest and rejoicing like the psalmist found. Well, graciously, God has provided that for us. And I hope, I mean, I've touched on this a couple times, and I hope as I read through that, this isn't a surprise. I think he's talking about church. Yeah. He is. I am. It should ring those sorts of bells, because there are, there are clear, explicit, deliberate connection points, parallels here between what this Old Testament saint found as he walked up, as he ascended into the presence of God at the temple in the city, and what we then, who are this side of the cross of Christ, experience, what what our life is like. Now, there are some parallels there. So you can jot this down and look at it later. Um, I don't want to turn to it and and go through it now, but jot down and look at later Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. I'm just going to allude to that here because there's a point that There's a spot that proves something that is not the point to be proved here. I'm going to just drop that down. You look at it later. 
But the writer of Hebrews says that Christians now, we don't live on Mount Sinai. The place of the giving of the law and the place of, of destruction for breaking the law. Instead, we Christians, he says, and listen to the parallels here. We have come to Mount Zion. We Christians have come to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. To innumerable angels and to the assembly of all the believers, the people of God. And to the presence of God, the judge of all. Parallels, judge, throne, people, Jerusalem. That's what we have come to. If you're a Christian, you right now have one foot already inside the gates of that new Jerusalem. And you got the other foot in the humidity of the world. And that's the, the parallels. Are you, you, you see them, you read them, you hear them. You, like, yeah, I see that. But that's over there. Here's where, what can be done about that? Well, what God has done graciously and kindly is that he's, he's pulled a little bit of that down here to give us one day in seven a chance to rest among that brought close, that brought near. He's given us some moment here where we can all gather together and can taste a little bit of and can experience the glorious life of the city of God that will one day be our perpetual home, but isn't yet. We're, we're already there, but we're not yet there. And so what he's done is, I don't want you to just know this up here. I want you to feel it here. I want you to experience here. I want you to live in it and, and see it and touch it and talk to it and Know it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a little taste of the city of God, a little taste of heaven, a Sabbath rest here now. Do you know this experience? Have you felt, have you lived in the experience of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, taking the word of God preached and reaching into your heart and saying, live. Rejoice. Not just, this is something worth rejoicing about, but rejoice. The difference there. Have you experienced that? As the words preached, have you experienced God taking his word and ruling by his word in my heart to make me different. If you're a Christian, you have in church. Have you experienced the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, in the people of this place? Experiencing God's love for me in Christ who lives in this person and treats me so much like Jesus that I can touch, talk to, see, not just read about and hear about, but experience the love of God in Christ for me through her, through him, through them. Have you experienced that here? If you're a Christian, you have. Have you experienced the, the, oh yeah, oh, bless the Lord, yeah, kind of mind-renewing awakening that as I hear of God's gracious past work, as I'm reminded of God's gracious present work, as the future is held up in front of me, oh, relief, oh. Hope, ah, forgiveness, ah, a release of the facade. I don't have to pretend I can be broken as I am, accepted because of the gospel. It's true. Oh. I'm safe in his hands. I experience that and feel it. What I'm talking about is not just the knowing of that, but the experiencing of it in the fellowship, in the life of the local community of God, in the church, gathered 
to worship. Heaven breaking into earth here. That's what the church is. The people of God gathered together around God and his authoritative word that is ministered to us in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we meet him, hear of his goodness, rejoice and give thanks together as the people of God, looking forward to one day when that will be permanent. It's church. You pick up the Psalms as we are, and what we say is, I don't want to just know the facts. I want to experience them. And what this psalm says is, and that happens when the people gather to worship. So come on. It underlines for us where, in what place, in what environment are all the truths about God and about his gracious work in us felt here, which is different very different than just me at home with my Bible reading and praying. Different than me out in nature walking and seeing God's power and his goodness. Different even than hanging out with fellow Christians like uh, at a coffee shop or on a softball team or something. Different than even being a part of a parachurch organization like a Christian school or something. All those things are good and fine. I like many of them. I participate in many of those things. Good and fine. I don't play softball, but it's good. As additions onto the base. Not in place of the base. You can't eat hors d'oeuvres and dessert and skip the main course. There's something unique, something that's delightful and sweet about this different people of God all gathered together in a covenant community saying that we together will sit under the authority of God and we together will give our lives to one another even when it's inconvenient and not helpful to me. The church, the people of God gathered together at worship That may happen on Sunday morning. That that may happen on Sunday night. It may happen in other settings, but it's the people of God gathered together. So if you want to maximize your delight in God and the experience of feeling these truths, lean into a church-centric life. Not a church-only life. We've got to engage with the world out there. We we have to live in that. We do. But a church-centric life, the Place at the middle. So not church as a petal on the flower. Church as the core. Church is home that you come home to all the time. Church is where the relationships are that, that are the most important ones and the deepest ones, the ones that you're, that you're most keen to maintain in your life. That's what God has provided for us to sustain us in the experience of joy. So God help us with that. Because that's true and I'm pretty confident that I'm talking to at least some of us that say that is not my experience in church. So again, I be careful with something here. If that is not your experience in church, then one of two things are going wrong here. Either the church is serving up something wrong, or you're coming with the wrong appetite. Think that through. Maybe there's a third option. I can't think of what it would be. Either the church is serving up something wrong, or you're coming with the wrong appetite looking for something else. And maybe our church is serving up something wrong or in some way doesn't, doesn't quite sit right with you. I am, I am by no means arguing that this church is the best and only church. If, if this church doesn't like, quite 
if this little congregation here doesn't sit quite with you, I, there's like three or four other churches I could right now recommend you check out. That believe this word, that preach the gospel, that I would go to, that one of my kids goes to one of them. It's possible that we aren't quite right, that we aren't doing something in quite the right way. That, that is possible. But if you don't know anything of what I'm talking about, I suspect the other. That you're coming here with an, an appetite for something else. So check yourself on that. Am I looking for the world, really? Do I not have an appetite for communing with God and with the people of God who will live forever with me and with him? And are the things of God, the truths of God, the, the great and gracious provisions of God for me and his kindness to me and his mercy to me and his, his steadfast love and loyalty to me, that just doesn't really do it for me. That's kind of boring. Is, is that it? Cry out to God that he would change that in you if that's it. Maybe the problem's in us, but maybe that's it in you. And if you've never experienced what I'm talking about in any church anywhere, that may need a change in you. So, so creating me a, a different heart, Lord, maybe that should be our prayer. Lord, help me to have a different appetite. Help me to, to see what's being laid out here in front of me and to realize this is good. The cotton candy of the world will not satisfy. Develop in me a taste. Develop in me an appetite for truth, for depth, for reality. And please, Lord, do that before the trouble bears down on me and convinces me that I need it. Create in me a different appetite now. God has provided a place for us to experience His goodness, to feel these truths. The church, the people of God gathered to worship. That's what he's given us. And so secondly, we should, we should care to protect that. That leads me to the second point. Here's the second observation. It's shorter. Pray for and pursue the protection of this place of joy. Pray for and pursue the protection of this place of joy. Verse 6, the psalm changes, and we get an exhortation. Pray. People of God, the psalmist is going to be praying, and he wants us to pray too. Pray for what? Well, he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And peace is then mentioned again in verse 7 and in verse 8. As the prayer content is sketched out a little bit more, peace within the city, peace within the walls, security within your towers. That's what he's praying. Why? Well, we see it a couple times there in verse 6. May those be secure who love you. May your people, the people of God, be secure, safely in peace. That's why he's praying for the sake of his brothers and companions. People have all gathered together. Those ones he's praying for their sake, Lord, make peace be here. I'm going to seek the good of this place for the sake of peace and safety and security. So what's that all getting at? Well, in an obvious way, some sort of an outside attack against the city of Jerusalem would certainly wreck verses 1 through 5. If there's an invading army in the land, you're not going to get all the men leaving their homes and coming up to celebrate in the city. That, that's going to put an end to all of that. The worst case scenario, even if the city were to be destroyed and the temple torn down, then the presence of God here in the midst of us would, would be gone. So, Lord, keep peace. Keep the enemies away. On the outside, let there be no attacks. Hold them off. Peace out there. And then internally speaking, what else would drive away the presence of God? Not just the destruction of the city walls and the temple building. What else would drive away the presence of God? Infighting, discord, division, backbiting, gossip, lack of peace within. 
some sort of sin within the people of God would, would unplug us from him, would grieve him, would, would cause him to step back and stand away, would ruin all that verses 1 to 5 are about. So he wants to protect that, so he prays for peace. Remember, he's about the connection of people to each other and to God, not just the particular peace of a particular city in a particular country somewhere. We are to pray for the peace of the city of God. And verse 9, to seek its good. The church, the gathered people of God, We should be praying for them and seeking the good of this place. And this should underline for us and and should kind of like make us realize it is actually very important that I do, that we do what we can to maintain the unity in the bond of peace in this place. And to think about and keep focused on all that would make for unity. Unity of a proper sense. Unity that is built around the throne of the king. Unity that is in the presence of God. In other words, a God-centered, truth, scripture, righteousness, and justice-centered unity. There is no proper unity if we set aside the throne and set aside the temple. So we've got to bring along to our concept of unity is really important. We've got to bring along unity before the throne, beneath the rule of the king, in the presence of God. That kind of unity. It's a wise and clear authority from God. Wise and clear and accurate biblical truth a wise and clear and explicit expression of who is this God that we're talking about, not just G-O-D God, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible. So we've got truths that we need to bring in here and say, that's what we're centered around. And then what makes for unity? Well, an attitude of holding all those things in humility and in kindness and generosity and compassion. holding truth in love, forgiving others. So we seek the good of this house by holding on to and pursuing, if need be, both of those things, truth and accuracy and compassion and humility, truth and love. If we want to preserve verses 1 to 5, if we want to make this, preserve this to be a place in which we can experience the joyful communion with God that we need in this world, then we have to be focused on truth and love, maintaining peace in this place, a right peace. So seek peace here. For yourself, be humbled beneath his hand, and for others, be gracious and kind while standing on truth with them. So i got to say all that because that's important. But the main point, if you just look at the the number of times it's said, the main point is pray. Because if if I say all that I just said the last two or three minutes, and I put that forward and I say, Here's what, here's what peace is requiring. Here's what it consists of. It, truth and, and humility. Go get it. What we'll find is we can't. God has to give that. Because my heart is prone to wander and my heart is inherently selfish. And I I may do a a really nice job of listening to the truth of God until it kind of crosses me, and I may do a good job of being humble towards you until I don't like you, just just enough. I don't have it in me. You don't have it in you. We, We don't have it in us to say, there, I will maintain peace in this city. That is a gift from God. So pray, pray, pray for peace. That's his emphasis. Pray. 
Seek it yourself and pursue it, yes, but pray for it, that God would preserve peace and would keep the world out of the city. We're prone to conflict and we need his help. For his, we need his spirit to own us. We need his spirit to reign in our own hearts individually and in the body corporately. So we pray for and we ask for him to make it so that we sit beneath his hand and in front of his throne, side by side, not over one another. When you pray for the church, do you pray like that? I'm assuming that you pray for the church. We all probably pray for people in the church to some degree or another, in some way or another. And I bet that if we were all, me included, if we were honest, we would say, we would notice some very large portion of my prayer list is about the troubles. I'm not saying don't pray about the troubles, for sure. But if you notice, I spent 90% of my prayer time praying for health, jobs, safety. And sometimes on the end, I tack on, Lord, would your spirit own me? Lord, would your spirit own us? Would our small group, Father, would you grow our small group, our, the 10 people that sit around this living room, would you grow us in the image of Christ Yes, he needs a job, and yes, she has a health scare, and yes, their kids are wondering, but would you grow us in the image of Christ? That's our greatest need, because we need peace in this place. We're going to have trouble. Trouble's not going to end. But we need a place where we can experience heaven brought down to earth, and for that we need peace. So please, Spirit of God, own us and make us new. And give him a job and take care of that health need. Pray for peace. Pray for the protection of this place. It's what we need. More than we need health and more than we need jobs, we need a place to experience communion with God, to experience heaven here. And God must give that. And you can pray that knowing he is highly inclined to. In fact, the only reason it's even possible for us in the first place is because that's been his goal all along. To bring us safely to a city. We're talking about Psalm 122, about going up into the, into the presence of God at a temple in a city protected beneath his hand. We're talking about something that we have no entitlement to. We, we have no right to. The only one who ever did, the only one who ever did have right to this was kicked out of the city and made to suffer outside the gates to secure for me a standing inside the gate. That's, that's God's goal all along. We can, call, we can call out to him, please give this. And he says, that's my goal, I will. Lean into me and I will give it. I will give you a place, I will give you a people now with whom and among whom you can enjoy me, you can experience me, you can have the truths that you know felt and I will one day bring it in fullness when he comes. His goal all along is to plant you in the city of God. So we pray, Lord, make peace now, and Lord, bring the city of peace. Do that one day soon. Send your son. Bring the new Jerusalem to earth and plant both of my feet in it, me and all of my brothers and sisters and all of my companions. Plant us both-footed firmly and securely forever in that place. Do you long for that? Do you long for that? Sometimes I just want to have some fun on a Saturday afternoon. Sometimes I'd, I'd like a little more ease here in this world. Okay, yeah, we're, we're people. But behind that, do you long for the city of God present?
God, change our appetites. Give me a taste, give me a longing for that. God, turn our eyes towards the future and make us long and pray for the peace of this place and for the peace for the city of Shalom to come fully here. Send Jesus. That would be our joy. That would be life for you. So let's pray for that right now. Pray with me. Father, we are thankful that you've given us one day in seven to experience something sweet, full of rest and joy. Please protect this place. Shepherd it. Keep it right, right behind you, right centered on your word and right in attitude and right in demeanor with one another. Make us like you. But in a good way, Lord, also make us discontent with only one day in seven. Will you please send the city of peace fully and finally? Send your son and bring us all the way into the city Give us appetites for this, please. Give us longing. Give us praying hearts. Give us joy. The joy that is steadfast, that survives all the storms. We have a city whose foundations are secure, of which you are the architect and builder. promiser and securer and deliverer. So bring it to us, please. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.